Welcome to Playmakers Perspective, where our goal is to give women, football players, and others involved in the game an outlet to share their thoughts on the NFL through their unique perspective as players and women around football. Live the game, talk the game, elevate the game. I'm Katie Falkowski. I'm here with my co-host, Faith Worrell. And we have a special guest. Hey, we have a special guest today, Ash Beckham. We are super pumped you're here. Ash has played with the Boston Renegades for eight years, is a five-time national champion, All-American center in 2019, a, has won a gold medal with Team USA, and has a wonderful stat line as one reception and three yards, living every o-line person's dream ash welcome there we go thank you thank you for having me i'm like super stoked to be here i'm super stoked you're here uh so i'm hoping to really dive into some o-line stuff today but we're gonna start just kind of talking to you i'm gonna ask you some questions and we're gonna start nice and easy give us a little bit of background about who you are what you do how long you've played anything you want to share out of the gate here yeah so um by day uh, roughly eight hours of the day. Um, I work as a technical business analyst, which is just a really fancy way of saying like the company I work for right now, I, uh, I tend to look at their different procedures and processes that they have in place and try to find ways to like remove any inefficiencies or bottlenecks and essentially improve that process. Um, every other hour of the day, <laughs> I consider myself an offensive lineman. Um, I like eat, breathe, sleep, football. <laughs> um, I just don't know anything else without it. So I, I grew up in Texas, actually, which is where I kind of fell in love with football in the first place. My dad was a huge Cowboys fan growing up. So sue me. I am a Cowboys <laughs> fan through and through. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I found the Renegades actually through a red flag league that um, I found once I moved up here to Boston, a lovely group of Renegades that played on that same flag league kind of, uh, I can't even say they roped me and they asked me one time if I wanted to play tackle football and I said, absolutely. Um, it took a little bit of figuring out how to get my life in a place where I could commit to what was going to be the greatest decision of my entire life. Um, but I got there um, and I'm like super grateful for it. And so that was back in 2015. So I started my rookie season was 2016 and I've been not lost without it. That's for sure. I love that. So you obviously play on the O-line, which as we know, is my favorite position. Um, <laughs> and to me, I I say that not really in jest. When I look at the O-line, I, I think of it as a position that, you know, all positions in football, we need everybody working together. But I truly feel like the O-line is like a, the most selfless or, you know, one of the most selfless positions out there. And you really have to work as a cohesive unit with the other people that you're out there with. So what do you love about being on the O-line? And do you think there's any certain characteristics that an athlete needs to have in order to excel on the O-line? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I just, the number one thing is like the absolute teamwork that has to happen to make the O-line work. This is not 
a one-on-one -on -one situation. This is not, I mean, everybody kind of has to be on the same page. Um, I think we always joke all the time, like if Burn changes his mind about how a play is run, if the five of us know what we're doing, we can't be wrong. <laughs> like, we're all going to be yeah. on the same page. We're going to run the exact same thing. And that just brings a different light to the game. Um, I found out uh, probably when I joined football and when I made it to the offensive line, I realized I am not an individual athlete. <laughs> Take that for what it is. I wrestled in high school and I was great at it. I liked it a lot. Um, I only did it for about a year and a half. And then I graduated high school and there's like nowhere else to wrestle. Um, but I didn't find the like same motivation to be as great as a wrestler as I could have been, as I find with having been on the Boston Renegades and joining the O-line and saying like, well, if I'm not the best I can be, then poor everybody else I'm playing with, like that's unfair to them. So I really kind of found that like, that's what gets me going. My motivation to be the best me that I can be is so that everybody around me can also be the best that they can be. So being an offensive lineman is one of those things that's like, it's just special, man. <laughs> and I am biased, I will admit, but it's special because it takes a certain person to be in that position. It also takes certain people to play other positions. So <laughs> I'm just not that person. But for O-line specifically, you have to be a selfless person. You have to kind of care for the greater good and know that maybe not everybody's going to really care if you do a good job. They're only going to care if you do a bad job. Running yeah. backs care. You care. <laughs> our whole running back cares. I think it was a running joke this year that I was like, I was like, oh, what did you you said something about the O line? You thought we did? Oh, that's oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. That's kind of <laughs> a running joke this year, but it was it did not go unnoticed. It didn't fall on deaf ears by any means. That the O line was super appreciative every time we got any kind of shout out. Speaking of shout outs, um, I feel like you said oftentimes the O line doesn't get the love that they deserve, especially. I think part of that is just like common NFL fan. Uh, I'm sorry, NFL fans. If you haven't grown up playing the game, sometimes like they're not highlighted. We don't see or understand them, and so I think that has to do partly why the O line sometimes get gets overlooked. But recently, um, there was a documentary on an O line, and I know you're not the <laughs> yeah. biggest Eagles fan, but there was the Kelsey documentary <sighs> that just came out, and so I, yeah. I had asked you if you saw it, and you said that you did, and so my questions mm -hmm. would be. One, how did it feel for you as an O-line person to have, like, like, did you just all feel like a collective, like, yes, like, we made it, we've got a documentary? Uh, so that's my <laughs> first did. question on the doc. Are you fired <laughs> up about it? I was super excited. Um, I was a little nervous because, just because I know the hype that O-line gets in general, like, it could have fallen, you know, so short, and people have been like, well, who cares, right? Like, it's not a big deal. It's just the O-line. And my, I think in the back of my mind, that's kind of like what I was thinking. But I think Jason Kelsey did such a good job last year of like being the kind of person that everybody would associate football with. Not just O-line play, but like football. And so I think personally, they did pick a really good offensive lineman to use. As much as I hate to admit it, <laughs> I do love Jason Kelsey. <laughs> so he was a good representation for that documentary. And I just kind of hope that like everybody can get a glimpse of what that's like. Um, Cause it felt great for me personally. <laughs> Good. Yeah. And, and I, I also watched it and, you know, I've seen firsthand with, with our O-line, some of 
the toll that it takes on your body. And I think in that documentary, they did a really good job of talking about that toll that it, it was playing on, on Jason Kelsey's body. And yet throughout spoiler, it's not really a spoiler. Like he talks in the documentary about <laughs> contemplating wanting to retire, but obviously if you're watching the NFL this year, you know that he didn't retire. And so despite the fact that, you know, it's obviously he's putting a big impact on his body, he decided to come back and play another season. And so my question to you is, you know, watching that and then just watching your teammates and obviously yourself go through what you go through on the O-line and what your body goes through on the O-line, what makes people keep coming back to that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, is, and this is for me personally, I obviously can't speak for every other O-line out there, but for me personally, it's like when you're part of something that just works so well, right? Like to get that far in the season and to be so good and to get all of the recognition, not that O-line's big on being recognized, right? Like we don't, necessarily care about those things but it must have felt nice for someone like Jason Kelsey to be recognized as someone who's probably gone unrecognized his whole life right but for me personally it's like you are a part of something like that and for us it's it's our run game it's our offense like to be a part of something like that it's so great the return on investment of like me being so good at what I do is essentially a successful career for my backs behind me but also championship titles right like yeah, I don't think anything feels as good as like coming home and knowing that like I have just one more ring to put on my finger and it's like that greatness could keep someone coming back for so long right and I know it's going to keep me coming back for so long um, and I can only imagine that for Jason Kelsey and Perfect. for you Katie. <laughs> So yeah, I think it's just a part of like being something so great and and not to say that playing for not great teams is not something you want to come back to, but it's that trade-off, right? At the end of the day of like, if I am as great as I am at the end of the day and something just as great comes back to me, as long as in the long term, my body's going to be okay, I'm fine. I'm, I'm going to keep coming back and do what I know how to do. And yeah. Ash, I just want to say you are great and you are yeah, amazing. And- and I'm, and I think <laughs> the more I do this, I just so appreciate the level of effort that you know a lot of our teammates put into it. But this year, yeah. for me, especially watching you, and I feel like you stepped up as a leader, and it was like clear in your preparation, and you led and helped lead some of our like you know we do Zoom film, and and you stepped up and led some of that, and I think it's a testament to who you are as an athlete and as a player that you not only want to make yourself better, but help other people and your teammates be better too. And I think that like hunger for greatness really shines through in you. So thank you as one of your backs who is, uh, is back here um, benefiting from all of your hard work and preparation. So I appreciate that very much. Anything for you, Kate Bell. <laughs> Should I leave you guys alone or leave you? Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes, I mean, if you also wanted to tell me how great I am at being an offensive lineman, I'm here for it. And well, I definitely you think you're amazing. <laughs> you know, it is. Like, I mean, I think like you were saying, like, without you guys, like, all of those plays don't happen. Like, there's just not those big moments. And I think, like you said, it takes a special person to play on the O-line because you're right. Like, if something goes wrong, the first thing people are talking about, especially with the NFL, is the holes in the O-line and what they need to clean up on there. But then everything's going right. It's like, oh, my God, like Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, all these guys are doing great. But 
it's overlooked when right. even people like Jason Kelsey are on the O-line. So his documentary was amazing. I think it was great to show, like you were saying, Katie, just like the physical toll that it takes, but also like he's not only being a good teammate, but he's also being a good brother and a good husband and a good father and like showing just the human element of football, especially on the O-line. So you're fantastic. Yeah. Katie, you're also fantastic. And I enjoy documenting all of it. Mm-hmm. As, as my husband, Eric, would like to say about O-line play and me, oftentimes he'll be like, man, our dog Duke could have scored that touchdown. It was so wild. <laughs> and I'm like, thank you, O-line. <laughs> um, so yeah, just nice. not going noticed in our family for sure. All right, my last question of our, our just before we get into some NFL news, is that we're going to ask every guest we have, what does it being a playmaker mean to you? Ash, you are a playmaker. So could you give us some insight into what that means for you? Yeah, um, I was kind of thinking about this for a few days now since you guys asked me to like be a guest on the show. Um, I knew this question was coming, obviously. Um, and I think for me personally, I kind of keep coming back to that quote that's like, you know, what's the difference between being good and being great at something? It's like someone who's good at something will do something until they get it right and someone who's great at something will do something until they can't get it wrong and to me i think that is being a playmaker it's like okay you did it once great like let's do it a thousand and one times without doing it wrong and kind of go from there and and that kind of turns into the player that can be relied on that someone that you know in tough situations is going to show up no matter what and they're going to do exactly what they need to do and at the end of the day, like that's where that's kind of like who that's the basket you put your eggs in, right? Like you never put your eggs all in one basket. It's never all in one player. Like I know that, but it's somebody that you can say, all right, in this one situation, we need X, Y, and Z to happen. And you know, this person's going to do it. Um, and that's on and off the field as well. I think on the field, you know, Sunday afternoons, it's easy to be like, oh man, this person made such a big play. It made a huge difference in the game, but it's like, what is that guy doing on the practice field? in the locker room to make sure that the people around him are also like ready to go um, and comfortable in the situations that they're potentially going to be in. So that's kind of my definition of like what a playmaker is. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Thank you for that. Nice. All right. We're going to transition into um, a little bit of a new segment where we have posted on our Instagram story asking if people have questions or comments for us. And so I think that we're going to do some rapid fire that faith is going yes. to give to us and we're just going to see see what people want to know. Yeah, huge thank you to everyone who submitted questions or topics. A handful of this we are going to get to later, but we'll do some rapid fire questions. Starting off strong, thoughts on Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. <laughs> Anyone have any? We talked about it last week, but Ash, do you have anything to add to the conversation? Yeah, I mean, I would love to see it happen. I would love to see it happen. I would feel bad for Travis Kelsey if it does happen and it doesn't work out. <laughs> because I think T Swift over everybody at that point. And I love, I like Travis Kelsey. I think he's, he's a good enough guy. Right. But I think that would be something to see. Um, I don't know. I keep seeing on Instagram all over the place. Some of it's rumors, some of it's not some. So I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of like patiently waiting for whatever, that ball to drop is. We are all patiently waiting. Some of us more patient than others, I would argue. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Baker, 2-0, and o, and Burrow is 0-2. What do you think? Shake and bake. Pass for 490 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. 
He's playing on his fourth team in the last 21 months. Is he the real deal? I don't know, but I love to see it. He's no Tom Brady, as he said. Good for him. Burrow, so many questions. I think he'll bounce back. But right now, I'm in, I'm actually enjoying seeing Baker Mayfield do well. Yeah. I'm not going to say he's better than Joe Burrow, but right now, he's doing what he needs to do. <laughs> True. Um, let's see. What's going on with Russell Wilson in the second half? Crushed it in the first half and then was terrible. I don't know if you guys caught that game. I did. I saw his, uh, well, I saw highlights from it, but I did see his big uh, Hail Mary. Couldn't finish it off. I think that he came out really aggressive. They found that deep ball. It was working for them, and maybe they just relied on that too much. Got a little bit cocky. I think if they Sean Payton and Russell can figure out a game plan where they're using the long ball, but not just that, and doing some other things and being creative mm-hmm. with that, then maybe they will see success. There um let's see we also how about bill coming up with the man in motion on the defense versus the field goal and got the block sir brendan schooler how are we feeling man that was incredible (laughs) i didn't even recognize it the first time because i personally was watching the holder (laughs) shocking me right (laughs) i'm like man how the heck did he get there so quick and I just thought that was super impressive. Like, that's how you game plan. That's how you study. That's how you get ready for a game. And I think I later found out that it was either the holder or the holder and the snapper, maybe, who were both definitely Patriots players before in the past. So their tells were not just on film from their games. I mean, that is something that somebody has probably picked up on for however many practices they have, for however many years he's been a part of the team. So I'm like, man, for somebody to cash that in, To execute it like that, come up with that game plan, execute it, must feel so nice. Oh, absolutely. Until the offense doesn't do anything with it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We'll get to that. (laughs) We'll get to that in a minute. Um, We'll have, let's see, we'll do two more. Um, Who's in a worse situation with their loss? Jets losing Rodgers or the Browns losing Chubbs? Nick Chubb. What do we think? Who's in a worse situation? As much as I think running backs are important, I think losing um, Aaron Rodgers is 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 the ultimate loss for the Jets right now. Yeah, I am gonna say Chubb just because I feel like there's a devil you know and a devil you don't. Like Chubb has been such a heavy part of that offense for a while, and you know I think he's proven himself to be a playmaker on that team. Aaron Rodgers was such a toss up to begin with. Like he may have not had any impact and unfortunately we'll never know, which, you know, I, there's only so much you can do about that. And I feel awful, but I have to say Nick Chubb because we just don't know what Aaron Rodgers is going to bring to the table. That's kind of how I feel about it. I think obviously, I mean, Zach Wilson is not their favorite player. (laughs) They're just kind of using what they have at this point, but I do think losing Nick Chubb is huge. I mean, I, hate the injury form. I know we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but that's that's huge for the Browns. And last question, a little fun question. Who is your favorite touchdown celebration? Bonus points if you can reenact it, I guess, while we're here. <laughs> I... Any Renegades player for me. I don't have one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I... Yeah. I did some research because I was like, okay, I can think of a handful that I've thought were funny. And I came up with four from, like, some compilation video on YouTube. Um, Ezekiel Elliott doing the Dak warm-up. 
Shout out Cowboys. I don't know if you remember that one. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> um, Juju playing hide and seek when he was with the Steelers. He caught a touchdown, and then I forget who it was that he played hide and seek with, but man ran behind the goalpost and hid. Um, the Seahawks choreographed dance, their little like thing Such together that they did. Amazing. Oh, yeah. And yeah, and anything the Vikings do, I usually like. So. Of course. Theirs are pretty good. Yeah. I do like I the fun think... and the energy about it. I don't have a specific one, but I always enjoy it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. There. I wonder there. Um, I wonder if Zeke will keep up his tradition this year um, during Christmas time, because I think one of my favorites, just being a Cowboys fan, is kind of watching Zeke jump in the Salvation Army bucket as he scores, um, knowing that he's going to get fined, and he just kind of <laughs> does it anyways. And, like, that is great. And I think he kind of – he ends up, like, donating anyways to the Salvation Army, like, whatever he gets fined. Yeah. Someone me on that, I but I think that's kind of cool. I think you're right. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I kind of hope to see that again, maybe in a different stadium. Well, I don't know if Bilicek will let him. Uh, at that point, <laughs> Bill's not going to be able to run down and catch him. So yeah. I think if it happens, it happens. He might <laughs> violently throw a flag, though. We'll, we'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. So that's it for Insta questions for now. Thank you guys yep. for submitting. I know we didn't get to all of them, but we'll try to, uh, we might hit some other, cover some other ones as we go. So we're going to move into some league roundup stuff. Ash is going to stick with us and give us some her some of her takes as we go. So we're going to do some AFC action, NFC news. We'll quickly go over some of the injuries that we saw uh, here in week two. Odell uh, Beckham Jr. left with an ankle injury. Shouldn't impact his availability. We're going to have to wait and see on that. Uh, Joe Burrow left uh, well, he limped off the field towards the end with a calf strain. Uh, I think we'll talk more about that later, but questionable. He's definitely not looking 100%. And then Anthony Richardson, who's been showing a lot of promise with the Colts, he left with with a concussion. He self-reported that concussion, and that was after scoring two rushing touchdowns. And the concussion, they believe, was on a 15-yard touchdown that he scored, uh, and he self-reported that he was feeling concussion-like symptoms. Um, and I remember after the first game, Trevor Lawrence saying to him, hey, you need to protect yourself because any any running style quarterback, obviously, is taking a lot of hits and the hits in the NFL are going to have a, a larger impact, obviously, than at, at, in the even in the college and high school years. So um, my question, I have a question for you, Ash. When you see a quarterback, mm-hmm. whether it's your quarterback on your own team or you're just like watching the NFL or other football and you see them out there scrambling, leaving the pocket, how does that make you feel as an offensive lineman? Uh, immediate hate. Just, <laughs> I don't like it at all, especially when it's my own quarterback. Um, and that's not a testament to their ability or w- what they're capable of doing, because I think a lot of these quarterbacks, and again, mine specifically, are just incredible when they can get out in open space. Um, but I hate it. Um, <laughs> I think I joke around all the time with um, – Cahill. I'm like, hey, next time you go, just like take a guard with you. Okay. Just, <laughs> you don't have to go by yourself. Um, and I think that's just because like that is, we do protect the running backs, the fullbacks in the backfield, but our number one, you know, person is obviously the quarterback back there. So I don't like seeing that even in um, an intentional situation, whether it's a naked rollout or he just gets uh, flushed from the pocket because the coverage is just too close and he has nowhere to go. Um, I don't like it then, and I definitely don't like watching it when he gets flushed out of the pocket because the O-line couldn't do their job. Um, that one hurts the heart a little bit, so. Yeah, 
I, I could see that. I thought that might be your answer, but um, yeah, Richardson, obviously like he's great on with his legs and, and they're putting him in those situations to be out there. And he's, he's a big, big dude, but you know, hopefully he'll come back from this and, and maybe yeah. continue to learn how to protect himself a little bit better and put the pieces around him. So he's not in those situations. Um, and then the other injury you want to talk about Nick Chubb, it was just gruesome, brutal. They didn't really even show it, um, show the playback on, on, on TV. If you are on Twitter, it was all over Twitter and I saw it and I didn't want to see it anymore because, uh, Nick Chubb is just an amazing running back and he was dominating that game. He was doing really well. And to see any athlete go down like that is just really hard to see. And especially a guy like that, who you, I feel like he's just been at the centerpiece of, of that team for a long time. And, you know, we want to, all these teams want to talk about how running backs don't necessarily matter, but we also saw Saquon go down this week with both. They're saying it's probably like a minor ankle, maybe just like three weeks out, but these running backs going down. And then all of a sudden the narrative is, man, the Giants really need him. The Browns really need this running back. They can't, their offense can't move. Shocking. Yeah, whereas all season, we're like devaluing them. So um, hopefully, you know, Saquon will be back sooner rather than later. And and I think Nick Chubb, unfortunately, this is a season-ending injury for him. Yeah, and reportedly, before we started recording, Kareem Hunt is supposed to be visiting with the Browns. So I don't know if that's going to be exactly the replacement. I think that's a solid option for sure, but... Again, yeah, like you said, terrible to watch that. And, I mean, you know when the broadcasters are like, we can't show this. Like, it's just not good. So, all the prayers and thoughts for him, for sure. For sure. Um, rolling into some NFC stuff, I – the first kind of point I want to make is more just about the Packers-Falcons game. Um Obviously, the Falcons advanced to 2-0 after the 25-24 to victory over Green Bay – The one thing that I was really impressed with, Jordan Love, again, I feel like a broken record. Apparently, he's not a one-hit wonder. Week two, he's still performing. Three touchdowns, 14 of 25, 151 yards. And I wanted to also shout out Dontavion Wicks, their rookie wide receiver. He's out of Virginia, had a huge play for the touchdown. I don't know if you guys watched that game, Um, but that was his first NFL touchdown. And I felt like this game in general was just exciting to watch. I was excited for him to get that big play as his first NFL touchdown. Like that's exciting. Um, but also just like, it felt like good football all around. Like it wasn't like this insane game. That's going to be like top five on sports center, but I just felt like football wise, all three phases of the game, this was an interesting game to watch. Um, obviously anything that has a one point victory is exciting, keeps you interested the whole time. Um, And the Falcons being able to shut out the Packers in the fourth quarter, put up 14 points and seal the win. Shout out to Bijan Robinson for having another (laughs) great day. Of course. Um, I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on this. He reminds me of James White and as Patriots fans, obviously he's a rookie, so whatever, like take it as it is. But I felt like watching him play, it had just a similar feel. And I'm excited to see how he develops into that. Not to take away from any other player, but I've like watching Bijan this year. I know I'm like so high on his train, but I feel like he's doing things. Honestly, I haven't seen in like, he's just so shifty and explosive in a way that even amongst elite running backs, I I feel like I haven't seen. So I don't want to make a comparison to him, to any other player. And again, he's a rookie. I think part of being elite is this is my opinion is being having the durability to withstand and like, and stay in the game for a while. So I think we'll have to see what happens, but um, 
Yeah, dude, he's awesome. I wanted to pick him as my playmaker of the week, but I didn't. But um, <laughs> if you if you didn't see that game, even it's worthwhile to just go watch some of the clips of, of him and what he's doing out there and making elite NFL defenses just fall on their butts when um, trying to <laughs> stop him. So, yeah, he's he's special for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, speaking of the run game, we're going to go back to uh, the Jets here. The Jets' run game was missing, and if they don't have Aaron Rodgers and they're playing with Zach Wilson, they need to have it. So that was something I feel like Breesall, Dalvin Cook, Michael Carter, they combined for only 24 yards on 10 carries, including a fumble from Cook. And Breesall tweeted after the game, he tweeted just four, the emo- four football emojis, dot, dot, dot. Uh, indicating, I believe, that he only had four carries. That was after last week where he had 127 yards on 10 carries, including an 83-yard run. So, obviously, he's frustrated. He said after the game, when asked about the run game, he said, I mean, I only had four touches. That's why we struggled. So, I think for the Jets, I'm shocked that they didn't run more. I think that they got behind and that, that was, you know, they just abandoned the run game. But to me, when I look at the Jets, I'm like, Brees Hall is very good. He's very explosive. He has potential, you know, obviously had that 83-yard run. Like, he can go get you some serious yardage. So it was unfortunate, I think, that the Jets abandoned their run game. I'm hoping that they get back to that. I think among many of their problems, their O-line just doesn't look great, which obviously, like we talked about, makes the run game hard to get going. Uh, And I read an article, and it was talking about the struggles of the O-line with the Jets. And they were talking about, hey – you know, this was just somebody speculating, but saying, hey, we might benefit from moving some players around. They talked about Joe Tittman. He was drafted as center, but they were talking about, hey, maybe we should move him to guard and talked about moving Makai Becton from right to left tackle. So since we have an excellent um, <laughs> member of the O-line here with us who has played multiple positions, to me, it seems like that might be challenging to move from center to guard or to move from the right side to the left side. I understand that you guys work as a cohesive unit, but at the same time, like you're not doing the exact same thing and just like you're processing about what you have to do. So is it hard to switch positions? Because it seems like it would be, or is it more yeah. seamless? Are there challenges that come from that? What insights do you have for us, Ash? Yeah, I mean, I think it's easy to sort of like feel like this might be difficult and it can be tricky. Like I can't take away from that. Um, However, at this level at the NFL, I think one of the things about the O-line is your versatility. Like that's what's going to kind of get you picked up and, and, you know, find your way in the world. And so with that comes switching positions and, Again, maybe I'm biased. I've played everything but left tackle. Um, and that's just because I think Hillary Cook injured could do it better than anybody could do it completely. <laughs> uh, not. So there's that. But I have I've switched around and it, it comes with its challenges. Um, but I think at somebody at that level, if you can't take on that challenge, I think maybe your team drafted or signed the wrong person. Um, because at the end of the day, we are not doing the exact same thing, but because we have to work as such a cohesive unit, I almost always know what everybody else is doing on the line. And if I can't get a couple of practice there and make adjustments and be efficient enough to get through a football game and put my backs in a successful situation, then I'm not as good as I should be. Uh, th- that's my personal opinion. I think if you're going to play guard, you should play right 
or left guard, uh, whatever your team needs. If you're going to play tackle, if you're going to play guard on the same side, you got to figure it out at the end of the day. So you tell them, Ash. Absolutely. (laughs) So it makes a playmaker. Maybe the Jets are listening right now. Yeah. Yeah. If you are, yeah. No, maybe that sounds harsh. I don't know. But that's just kind of, that is my, uh, that's my take on things. Like you're in the NFL, buddy. And like, they are professional athletes who that's their living. And somebody like you, you treat it as if you're a professional. And I love that about you. And you prepare as such. And therefore you can go out and play every position, but you also have a full-time job. So yeah, you would hope that these guys um, who are, that is literally their entire life that they would be able to do that. So maybe that's going to happen with the Jets. Who knows? We'll find out. (laughs) Well, hopping to the other team and well, I guess one of three teams in New York. I'm going to talk about the Giants. They could score some points after week one. Um, Obviously, they were looking to kind of come back. Um, But, you know, I think it was an exciting game. I only had this on kind of on red zone. So I was kind of watching from afar. But obviously, the Saquon getting injured um, left with the ankle injury. We mentioned that earlier. Um, but after having two touchdowns and their comeback win, 31 to 28 over the Cardinals, I remember when that game first started, I was like actually a little worried that the Giants like couldn't score points for like a minute. But I mean, 24 unanswered points to complete the franchise's largest comeback in the Super Bowl era. Their win probability went to as low as 4.7, and they were able to pull it off. Um, I think that was an exciting way for that I think as Giants fans you're taking at least like a little bit of breath of fresh air that like your team can figure something out at some point but I mean I'm worried about like with Saquon I don't know I feel like it was a silver lining when when you're worried about him too and I don't want to be throwing shade at the Cardinals but like you should be beating the Cardinals before the season started people were talking oh, yeah. about possibly not winning a single game all year in tanking uh intentionally or not so Yes, I feel like this is a good win for the Giants. I feel like I know it's only a second game of the season, but yes, I do feel like that was a must-win game for them, especially against the Cardinals. I think Daniel Jones like did start to show something in the second half, and and I heard a report yeah. out of uh, you know they're talking about this game like one of their beat reporters, Giants beat reporters, saying he actually looked awesome all all like through camp and then he got into the regular season and it wasn't there what they saw in the second half was more of what they were seeing so maybe they just needed some time to get it rolling but yeah I think that was a must win I think without Saquon it will be interesting I again I don't think he's going to be out they say he's not going to be out hopefully more than a couple weeks so um they can get through the next couple games without him hopefully if you're a Giants fan um I, right. I remember, like, I was I couldn't watch that game. I, like, didn't get a chance mm-hmm. to watch it. So I was like, well, I'll follow along on the socials. And I kind of saw that the Giants went down early and there's all these memes about how they can't score. And I'm like, well, that sucks. And then the next day, I'm like, wait, they won that game? <laughs> or is this, is this from, like, last year? Is this a throwback? I was so confused when I first saw that it happened. And I was like, okay. I mean, you got to breathe a sigh of fresh air when that happens as a, as a Giants fan, but the longevity of that has to be in question. You can't have, you can't rely on big comebacks every game of the season or slow starts. Like you got to be able to play. I think we all know you got to be able to play all four quarters. So while it was nice to see that happen, I think now Giants fans will be eager to see that happen from the get go. And also 
you know, through the entire game. And we'll see if that that happens. I mean, they're playing the 49ers this week. So, (laughs) I mean, like you said, Katie, it was definitely a must win if they didn't pull this off. Like, but (laughs) I I think the 49ers, I know that Ash may think that the Cowboys are the best team in the league, but the 49ers to me are just rolling. I think anybody that's a tough matchup, but yeah, well, who knows? Who knows? You got to have faith, you know? I didn't pick uh, them to win. That's not my gotta have faith. <laughs> just, just to be clear, they don't have any. I, no I, I scrolled right by that one. <laughs> it's like, I don't have that much faith. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Speaking of interesting games that happened last week, the Chargers, Titans. Chargers are now 0 2. They had an overtime loss to the Titans. I'm shocked that the Chargers are 0 2. I think Justin Herbert is a very good quarterback, but maybe he doesn't. Like, isn't showing that ability to just get over that hump and have that X factor where, like, when push comes to shove, like, you're the guy who wins games. I know that's a lot to put on him, but he is an elite quarterback or is, or is being touted as one. So I was shocked the Chargers are 0-2. Um, the Titans won that game in overtime, like I said, 27-24. to Longtime Patriots kicker Nick Folk with the game-winning kick in overtime. Fun fact, Folk is the, Folk is the seventh all-time point scorer on the Pats with four 140 points. Um, two other kickers, Guskowski and Adam Vittari on that list as well above him for the Pats. So he knows how to score points. His pressure uh, was able to get it done. And it's, it's I always like the Pats connections. Pats uh, obviously making an impact in Tennessee with Nick Folk now and, and Vrabel there. Um, so I thought that was an interesting game. And because I think kicking gets overlooked sometimes and these guys are in the pressure cooker it's overtime it's like you you make this and you win and we don't even think about kickers oftentimes until those situations and it's there's like so much pressure on them and ash i know you also hold for extra points so you have like more intense intimate knowledge of what it's like out there in those situations what is the energy like? Maybe we haven't been in that situation where it's like overtime and we need it. But I, but what is it yeah. like? I, I don't, I'm not out there in those situations. What's it like? What's the energy like out there uh, when you're holding? And how does that compare to playing on the O-line? Yeah. Uh, I mean, from the get-go, every, every single place kick we take, I mean, we didn't take any field goal shots this year. Or maybe we did. Maybe we had one. It doesn't matter. Regardless of the situation, if it's down by two or up by 70, um, every kick to me is the exact same, right? I have to do the same things every single time, no matter what. I don't have to do them any better when we're pressured, and I don't have to do them any worse when we're not pressured. I have my job to do, and I have to get it done. The other thing that I think about is that that can be a very lonely spot for the kicker to be in. Um, and I'm not saying that kickers are not mentally tough and they can't handle it, but I do recognize that that is a lonely place to be, whether that's good or bad is up to the kicker. But I always like to try to share with my kicker that they're not alone out there, that I'm there and I'm Mm going to be the most solid force I can be in that situation and kind of instill this confidence into them that I'm going to do everything I need to do. And you cannot convince me otherwise. Like I, however bad the snap is or good it is or whatever, I'm going to catch it. I'm going to put it down and you're going to kick it and it's going to be perfect. Right. So that's kind of a situation that, and it mostly comes out in practice because that's where I get to really talk to my kickers so that by the time we get to game time, it's like, Oh, my, my holders right there. I feel great. Like, let's do this. Um, 
so it's yeah it's mostly just kind of like being that that solid force i have to do what i have to do in very similar o-line fashion no one gives a shit about the holder i am so sorry face mom <laughs> you're fine <laughs> we have a winner <laughs> Ash is the first person to swear on the podcast. That's, that's the thing. Ash, you win. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure everybody would remember this podcast episode. Um, and the holder. And the holder. You want to make sure. And the holder. So I think it's very similar in that fashion as well. Like nobody's really paying attention to me until the snap is bad or until the hold is bad or until the kick doesn't go through. It's like, well, what did everybody else do to make that kick bad? So kind of have yeah. to have the same mindset that I'm just going to do what I have to do and nobody is going to convince me that I can't or that I won't or that I'm not good at it. So, heck yeah. What you were saying just reminds me too of like what you said at the beginning where the difference between good and great and great is having done it so many times that you can't do it wrong. And I think that to me is like, I would imagine, you know, every every play in football is rehearsed a lot, but I feel like especially with like the kicking game, like, you should yeah. be able to do that, so, like have done that so many times that when the pressure's on, it's like your muscle memory, you have the confidence, like you've done it so many times, like you can just go out and execute on that. A hundred percent. Last <laughs> NFC comment I'm going to make, and Ash, you'll appreciate this, but we'll talk about your Cowboys. Hey. Um, they beat the Jets 30 to 10. Dak opened the game with 13 consecutive completions. Um, offense allowed Dallas to stay on the field all game, earning a whopping 83 plays and 42-minute time of possession with three drives of 75-plus yards. Holy cow, what an offensive game for them. Um, I was listening in a bit on the Pat McAfee show. He said, well, in his opinion – that if the Super Bowl was tomorrow, it'd be the Cowboys and Dolphins based off of how these teams are playing. And I kind of wanted to get you guys' thoughts on that because obviously we'll talk more about the Dolphins Patriots. I do think the Dolphins are very hot right now. I think a lot of things are working for them. But the Cowboys, I mean, every year this happens. Every year this happens. Oh. The season starts and we're all excited about them. And then the wheels fall <laughs> off. But for now, if the Super Bowl was tomorrow... What do you guys think about a Cowboys-Dolphins matchup? Other than the fact that the Patriots are obviously going to make it and win, put that aside for a second. <laughs> I want to hear what Ash has. Like, what is the, the beat of like, a, a Cowboys fan right now? Like, how are you It can be so exhausting to be where I am. Um, and for no other reason that I was born into a Cowboys household. Um, like I said, I grew up in Texas, my dad, huge Cowboys fan. Um, I think if I had the biceps, my brother had, um, I would also tattoo the Cowboys stars on the inside of them. Um, I am not so cool, so I'm not there yet, but it's the same thing every year, right? It's like, everyone gets hyped about the Cowboys in the off season and they do pretty good at the start of the season. And at some point they just kind of trail off. So I am cautiously optimistic here. While I am so excited to see the things that I see, right? Micah Parsons just being Micah Parsons. And just watching the difference I think I see this year is watching all the little things go right for the Cowboys. And the hustle between, you know, between plays. I think one of my favorite parts of that game was actually the center, Biotish, 
chasing down, chasing down the play in no other fashion than to just be ready at the line of scrimmage for the next play to happen, following the receiver down the field for the play and the receiver fumbles the ball and Biotish is right there to pick it up. Like those are the little things that are momentum savers in my mind. Like that could have gone the other way real quick and could have given the Jets what they need to sort of get the edge on the Cowboys. But doing things like that are going to keep you in the game for a lot longer and hopefully a lot steadier. So that's something that you can maintain. Like it's not hard to just give a ton of effort. You know what I mean? So it's nice to see that. I think it's awesome to see. And like you say, like that's a little thing. But to me, it's like all of those little things. You take 11 people on each side of the ball and they all commit to those little things Mm -hmm. that – you're talking about good to great that's to me like an indicator that you're searching for greatness and you're searching for excellence when nobody else is looking at you and you're doing your little thing because eventually that's going to pay off and like that is a perfect example like he was just hustling down there just to hustle down there and it happened to pay off for him so if you can get everybody on the squad doing those little things like that combined effort to me is huge so for you to say that the cowboys are doing that I'm I'm excited for you. The Cowboys do look good. Michael Parsons looks real good. Oh yeah, good, (laughs) amazing, absolutely unreal. Uh, Yeah, and you said uh, you said the Dolphins. um, Right now, I think the Cowboys are more impressive than the Dolphins. I'll leave it at that. That's Um, fair. That's fair. Did you guys see with Micah Parsons? Did you guys see his jersey swap with Sauce Gardner? at all I did he had a jersey just for him and ready for him <laughs> that's so cute I loved it I'm always I happy to be happy that. Faith yeah, uh, <laughs> I love seeing a guy like that as that dominant as what he does is also still so humble that somebody else out there is also sharing in that greatness spotlight so yeah. it's nice to kind of see the good guy not be a total jerk off yeah, like that's his talent is in the right place, I think. And that's so fun to see. Yeah, no, I'm excited for the Cowboys. I hope they keep it together because I, I think it's, I don't know, I just, I feel like the Cowboys have been through a lot. Jerry's like, God bless him, been through a lot. So Dak's been through yeah. a lot. So we'll just, it's going to yep. be, I hope, an exciting season for you, Ash. My yep. uh, last AFC uh, news before we go into our uh, predictions from last week and how those went was just briefly hitting on the the Chiefs. They beat the Jags seventeen to nine, which was way closer than I thought it was going to be. It was Patrick Mahomes' twenty eighth birthday. I was reflecting on what I was doing on my twenty eighth birthday, which I'll just tell you was not <laughs> as impressive as what Patrick Mahomes was doing. Uh, Faith, you still have what five? Years I have five years until my so maybe. <laughs> Maybe you'll be making uh, $210 million guaranteed in the next four years on your 20th birthday or whatever. But Who knows? Uh, Kelsey Who knows? was back. He had a TD. Chris Jones was back. He made an immediate impact. And the player I wanted to talk about was just Kadarius Tony. After last week having those drops, I loved that he bounced back. Um, he caught all five targets that went his way for a total of 35 yards. And he said, I know I could have made those plays. That's on me last week. And he bounced back with just, you know, 100% catch catches that went his way so good for him and at least seems like the Chiefs are rolling again I think they maybe still aren't quite where they want to be again that 17-9 score to me was a little bit closer than I thought to be not to take away from the Jags but the Chiefs got it done and that's all they needed to do yeah oh I thought I thought that was an interesting game too I was expecting it to be a bigger point differentiation but I mean the Jags I think were good last year and I felt like they 
have a lot of the same pieces going into this year. So it's not super surprising that it wasn't that close. But, I mean, I think Patrick Mahomes is kind of getting used to his new wide receivers. Obviously, they're getting used to catching the ball from Patrick Mahomes a little bit. But, um, yeah, definitely a closer game. And kind of transitioning to our week one predictions. Katie, you want to talk about Pats, Dolphins? I know we all want to talk about that. I said the Pats were going to win. Like I'm going to say every week. Gosh darn it. Um, (laughs) I went to the game. I was hyped. I was excited. Ultimately, I was disappointed because the Pats did not beat the Dolphins. Um, I almost didn't go to the game when offered tickets because if you know me, you know I'm just not that much fun. And an 8 o'clock game is really tough for me. I'm still tired (laughs) days later. But I stayed, and I stayed till the very end because I had hope and I had faith all the way to the last second. And you know what happened? It could have been the greatest thing to ever happen on a fourth down conversion, but it was not. Yuseki lateral to Cole Strange. I was hyped. I was like, ah, ah. and um, and then ultimately I just had extreme sadness because they said it was not. uh, It was not a first down. So, man. Any did it, did you guys just want to talk about that lateral play before I move on with the rest of this? Is anybody else sad? Yes. <laughs> I was so stoked to see that because I think every time that happens, everyone's like, <gasps> you hold your breath a little bit and you're like, what are they doing? Right? Like this could be so awful. Um, but I think if you just put it in an offensive lineman's hands, they're going to take care of you, baby. And so I think that was the right place to go. And what an athletic move. He looked good. That was 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 so much so good. I was like, that was. He tucked the ball. Yes. I was like, that was alignment? Yeah. I'm like, what can we just been? give him the the half yard because that's all he was short by, and it's like kind of just oh, you got you got to give credit where credit's due, and I just wish so hard for him that he had gotten that extra push, that extra half a yard, whatever he needed there, because man, that would have been so. Imagine the juice you get from that play. It was tough too, just because they had the play like a little bit before where like they measured it with the sticks, and I remember watching you know from the press box when I was working. And watching the ref, like, take the ball, put it down. They kind of measure it. Picks the ball up, moves it again. And, like, <laughs> and I don't know what was going on in their heads. I'm going to always try to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're trying to do their best. They're not trying to screw anybody over. But from that moment, and then you watch the play, and it's like, Cole, first of all, again, super athletic move to just, like, turn around, tuck it, and dive forward and – it just looked like on TV, like the line was here and he was here. Like it just felt like it. he got it. And I obviously didn't have all the fancy replay stuff, I guess. But it just, I wanted it for him. I wanted it for him so bad. I did too. And just talking more about this game, like there were some bright spots. The Pats limited Tyreek to only 40 yards, which last week Erica said, that's what we need to do. But it wasn't enough. Um, the yeah. Dolphins, I thought their run game like leading into this game, I was talking to Eric about it. I was like, oh, I just don't think their run game is that great. You know, they have two and they have these speedy receivers, but their run games just like, is it quite balanced? Well, I was wrong because they got the <laughs> run game going. Uh, Mostert had 121 yards, 6.7 yards per carry. He, including a 43 uh, yard touchdown run in the fourth quarter. So they, I thought the Pats game planned pretty well. And they, you know, they did shut down Tyreek for the most part. And what the Dolphins do, they went to the ground, which, 
I can't hate on the running game, but I didn't love to see it in this particular game. Um, and then the Pats, they just, they made, I felt like they were moving the ball. Like there was these moments of hope. Uh, Demario Douglas had that 46 yard and then had the fumble, which is brutal. So we just had too many turnovers. Um, we had a couple good drives that ended in a turnover where you thought, oh, this is great. We're about to score. And then sadness. Um <laughs> So yeah, the bright another bright spot. Chad Ryland he had his first field goal. So you know, going back to the kicking game, Ash and and Matthew Slater went up to him on the sidelines and you know celebrated that. But I just feel like in these close games, the Patriots haven't figured out how to finish. And after so long watching Tom Brady, like you could be down by three scores with like three minutes left, and still you'd think, oh, there's a chance. And I think watching the pass yeah. for so long. I still have that hope when we're down and actually the Patriots gave us some reason to believe, but then in the end, they just couldn't quite finish. And so it's disappointing. I think they have the jets next week. I think it's a must win. I think, you know, obviously the jets are <laughs> yeah. still figuring things out. The Patriots yeah, are yeah. still figuring out. I think the Patriots do look better than last year, but they just haven't been able to finish. And then the dolphins. Yeah. The dolphins look good credit to them for adjusting to what, um, to what they needed to do. One other bright spot I want to talk about, Christian Gonzalez's first interception on Tyreek. Like, he looked really good. So there were some bright spots, but at the end of the day, I was wrong. The Patriots lost to the Dolphins. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> yeah, I, from watching that game, at, you know, working it, um, it just felt like we didn't have any energy. It just felt like the team was out there. And to your point, better than last year in that like we were moving the ball like I felt like there were a lot of the little plays that were not happening last year were happening in this game and then it was like we tried a little too much and interception like it just felt like we could move it and move it and move it and we're like okay okay and then we'd lose it and I mean Brendan Schooler I thought was the energy changer in that game obviously we got the ball back and ended up having an interception on like the two yard line. So didn't really go anywhere, but I just felt like that play was like a breath of fresh air and energy that the whole team didn't have. It just felt like we thought we were going to lose and we're playing like that the whole time. And then Brendan Schooler comes out here like, Nope, I'm getting this. Like we could, we could give up three points, but no, we're not doing it. Like I'm running out of nowhere. Like, I loved all the clips that like our social media team got where like, you could only see the kicker and it's just like, you know, like he just comes out of absolutely nowhere. <laughs> and like, I loved it. Like, I just thought if we played with that level of energy and intensity, I felt like it could have been a different game. Obviously. I mean, that's just a view from the press box, but, and again, shout out to Christian Gonzalez for his first interception. I, you're not allowed to cheer the press box, which is really tough as a Patriots fan. I nearly jumped out of my seat when that happened. I was so excited because I just, I love it for him, obviously, as a rookie. And then off of Tyreek Hill, that's exciting. Like, that's a memorable moment for sure. Um, but I honestly just kind of felt like our offense didn't deserve our defense and special teams at the end of the day. Like, it was like, they're doing everything they can right now. And it just felt like there was too many errors to actually win that game. But it's my own thought. Do you think the energy, because I, I, I kind of agree with you, the energy was like maybe a little low, but how do you turn that around? Because Tua v. Bill Belichick has gone a lot more into his favor, right? How, 
as a team and like I you know how do you as a team kind of turn that around and say you you do kind of think like oh, it's just, it's the same matchup over and over again and this is our Achilles heel or the Dolphins are your kryptonite like how do you kind of take that back like how do you now own that and say no that's not how this works uh we are actually still in this game because I think that kind of falls on the Patriots at that point to like buck up and figure it out to me, yep. that's like should be motivation. Like, if you know that this is this squad, like Antua, is coming into town and has your number, like that to me is motivating. Like, I want to, like, I'm bringing all juice, baby. Like, I want to get out on that field and like yeah. do something. And I thought the defense did do something. Special teams had some great plays, and so did offense. But at the end of the day, like I said, like offense just was not finishing. And yeah. so, as much as there's hope, like they need to finish and maybe that like maybe the energy was like a little bit down I don't know how you don't have energy when you're in the NFL playing eight o'clock on a Sunday night but yeah it, yeah I agree Faith they were they just looked a little flat yeah we'll see what happens we got you know the Jets haven't lost to them I'm knocking on wood while I'm saying this haven't lost to them in 14 games so should be a win I'm knocking on wood all right. It's going to be on all the news outlets. Thank you. And they're not going to be knocking on wood. So just stating the obvious here. Um, right. And if you <laughs> let's go with your game prediction. You talked about Viking Vikings Eagles, which was yes. early in the week. What happened? Yes. So while I did not go to an O on my gotta have faith predictions, I felt good about my least view on the game. I was right about everything I said with the game. I just picked the wrong winner. I just wanted to think that the Vikings could have pulled it off. But three fumbles in the first half and four in the game. So I, that's that was my whole thing, was I was like, the Vikings cannot turn the ball over. That like Kirk Cousins cannot do this. I love Kirk Cousins so much as someone who's not a Vikings fan in the slightest, but like, I think he's amazing, and I wanted him to win this game and figure it out and tighten up those, like, turnovers. But, he, like, if we walk through this, he came out at halftime. They're only down by one touchdown, and he fumbles the ball again. And my point last week was, like, the second he is touched, that ball turns into a hot potato with him. Like, he cannot secure the ball when he is getting sacked. And, like, obviously – I'm not in his shoes. I can't like speak to it specifically, but like he's got to have better ball security when he knows that he's going to get pressured and he's going to get sacked and to come out of halftime when you're thinking you're kind of like resetting and like regain planning everything. And then to come out and have that, it was like, that's just kind of set them back. And maybe that's why they call him KFC. I would be, (laughs) (laughs) I would be wrong to not address what is now one of my all-time favorite commercials in such a subtle way. I loved it so much. Kirk Cousins' KFC commercial I thought was hilarious. For anyone who didn't see it, he's basically eating some fried chicken, and the person interviewing him is like, is that why they call you KFC? And I'm not going to say what I think that probably stands for, but I just thought that was funny. But back to the game, he just, like, KFC, what are you doing? Like, what are we doing? I wanted to believe in you guys, and it just... I don't know. I felt let down by it. And then I also, I felt bad for Justin Jefferson trying to extend the play. um, I think in the second quarter and ended up fumbling it for the touchback. I think that killed some momentum for them for sure. Cause I mean, Justin Jefferson's been so reliable for them and that was such a huge play. And I think he just tried to do a little bit too much with it. And ultimately it was a touchback, but 
Um, Vikings head coach Kevin O'Connell said, no one's more torn up about that play than Justin. So I, yeah. he'll figure it out. But that was tough. It was tough. It was tough. Meanwhile, the Eagles. <laughs> can I talk about their run game just briefly here? Um, Maybe, uh, I guess. It was, it was epic. Uh, they started slow. I thought the Vikings were taking away like some of their like you know deep shots. So what did they do? They just went to the ground. They played old school, hard nosed football. They had long drives. They had the ball for thirty nine minutes, and they did what they needed to do, which is what any great team does. Like, okay, you want to go to the air? They're taking away. Let's go to the ground. Okay, or vice versa. They rushed for 259 yards. DeAndre Swift had a career-high 28 carries, 175 yards, and a touchdown, uh, and they were just moving it. So the line was loving it up. Jason Kelsey, who we talked about before, he said, obviously it can be kind of monotonous for the play caller. Okay, am I just going to call it inside zone 18 times? But I think that's the mark of somebody that's t- taking what the defense is giving them and being smart. And then right guard Cam Jurgen said, we could look across the field and see that their D-line is getting tired, and that gives you a lot more juice as an offense. When you look across and see them tired, it don't matter how you feel. Let's keep doing it. Let's keep running it. That was music to my little ears. So, Ash, <laughs> how great does it feel? Let's get your take on this. Because obviously that O-line was loving up that they were just, like, pounding the rock. So, Ash, how great does it feel when the O-line, when your team has a running game like that, and they just pretty much impose their will on the other team? Yeah, it feels invincible, honestly. Like, nothing feels better than just kind of, like, the that's where we have to go. The run game is the answer to sort of, like, step up and answer that call. Because if the – if the passing game's not there for whatever reason, then it has to be the run game and you fall short, disappointment. But if you jam it down their throats against their will whenever you want, it has got to be the most satisfying feeling in the world. And I can back what is being said about watching a D-line huffing and puffing across the line. That's my water break, buddy. I needed that. (laughs) Let's go. Because to me, watching you get tired after four or five plays, it's immediate. I feel great, buddy. You cannot take this away from me, and I'm going to make this your worst nightmare. Like, nothing feels better. You're getting me so hyped right now. I'm, like, so hyped myself. (laughs) There's nothing better than that. And, like, that, it's, it's just an insane feeling. Insane feeling. Counterpoint. Do you ever get sad <laughs> as a line when the running back gets most of the credit for these great run games? No. Because at the end of the day, running backs are going to do what running backs do. And you, now, while you wouldn't be doing what you do without us up front, I still think it is huge on a running back to turn in insane numbers. Um, that's not lost on me as an offensive lineman. Um, plus I have four other people on the line who are going to sit there and congratulate me that we did exactly what we needed to do. Um, but no, I mean, I like to see my backs get the credit they deserve because that, I mean, I think you can, you see it sometimes where you're just like, what is this guy thinking? Um, but to even see the O-line do what they need to do and the running backs do what they need to do. And that comes together and forms an amazing drive. Like I can never be mad if the running back gets all the credit. I couldn't do it. So I don't want that. You do have I don't reception. want that put on me. Um, you could be a wide receiver. Like some sort <laughs> I started of... at wide receiver. 
<laughs> so you're not sad that the running back gets the credit, but after the game, does the O-line like kind of have a secret society where you guys just get together and like hype each other up and be like, ah, oh, the running back's getting all the credit, but like we didn't work. <laughs> um, uh, yes, probably. Yes. Anyway, most likely. It, it just is what it is, right? <laughs> I think some of the, um, I think some people can maybe feel like as a line, uh, offensive specifically as an offensive line, can be a quite clicky group. And that may be true, but I think at the end of the day, it has to be because nobody is going to care about what the other linemen are doing more than your linemen buddies, right? And if you do it right, like I, there is no better feeling than to be able to like turn to your guard and be like, dude, you rocked that game. Like that was incredible. Um, And then to just talk about it over and over again. And like being so excited to watch film on Monday without any of the skills players around and just say, did you guys see this? And just watch it over and over again and be like, dang, that Fun was fact, sweet. I actually crashed the O-line film and show up anyway. Yes. So <laughs> it's okay. You are also first to give credit. So I feel like you are an honorary lineman. Oh, that's such a great comment. Wow. <laughs> One more question for you, kind of going back. Thank you for saying that. One more question going back to that game specifically. Uh, Kelsey talked about how they were running inside zone. So getting a little more X's and O's here. Uh, can you talk about what the O-line is trying to do when, when an inside zone run is called? And what, what do you guys have to do to work together to achieve success on an inside zone? Yeah, uh, so... At the, at the start, right, inside zone just means we're going to try to get the running back running the ball in between the tackles or within the tackle box, right? So that's up the middle of the field, up the gut, straight through the middle, north and south, buddy, right? Like that's <laughs> the quickest way to your end point is through a straight line, right? So just run it up the gut. And so that's what you want. That That's your goal on inside zone is just kind of run it straight through the middle there. To achieve that, I think is one of maybe – could be one of the trickier plays because there's no flashy stunts. There's no trapping a D lineman. There's no letting a D lineman fly at field. You have to, as an O-line work with a partner most times because you want double teams all over the place. You want two offensive linemen on one D lineman as many times as you can get it. And the two of you, and sometimes only you by yourself have to move a defensive lineman off the line of scrimmage. And that's a key point on an inside zone is you can't just stalemate at the line of scrimmage. You have to move them through the line of scrimmage and you have to work up to a linebacker. And if you can do that successfully, you can give the running back room to run for six, seven, eight yards without even being touched legitimately. Hand <laughs> tackles, you know, like the jersey grabs are one thing, but for you, we, we want the running back to get into the secondary. Your job is to make a man miss and go for yards, right? So for us to be successful, I think that's why inside zone is like just old school football. It's my guys are better than your guys. And we're going to put the ball wherever the heck we want to put the ball. And there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. I love that. And I love that in that game, like I was saying, like the Eagles were like, this is what work, what's working. We don't care if this is like boring or monotonous, if it's going to work and we're wearing down the other team, like who cares? We're here for to win. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that it's working makes it not boring. Exactly. exactly. Are you kidding me? <laughs> if you run the same play 10 times in a row and it works all 10 times, immediately not boring. 
Okay, yeah. that yeah. is <laughs> the most satisfying feeling. You're like, again, it's right there. Do it again. Like there's another one. <laughs> another one. Another one. So I love it. And like you said, yes. then you see the like you see the opposing team just getting like worn down, and then you start to feel like yes. you're just beating down their spirit and just stealing yep. their souls. What's better? Yes. Victory. <laughs> okay, I'm all fired up. All right, so <laughs> we got to move on because I'm getting too excited. That was a great explanation, Ash. Thank you. I love that. Um, so games of the week, uh, these are games that kind of stopped us in our tracks to watch. I want to have Faith, you go first here with your NFC game of the week that was a must-watch, made you stop, check it out. So I actually, if you had told me a year ago today that I would have picked this game as a must-watch or a watch in general, I probably would have laughed in your face because I'm picking the Commander's Broncos, which, Is it April again, <laughs> you would think, you would think, but quite literally, if we're going to break down this segment to its core, I was sitting at my desk working already on Sunday and heard what was happening on the TV, and I stopped what I was doing and watched this game. Like, literally to its core, I stopped and watched this game because Russell Wilson's 60-yard bomb to Marvin Mims to end the first quarter literally had me, like, shut my laptop, like, we'll work in a minute. Like, I needed to see what was happening. (laughs) And I just, like, anything that the Broncos do that doesn't make you want to, like, claw your eyes out is exciting, I think, to me. Not because I'm a Broncos fan at all. Like, I could not care less, but just after their terrible season last year, that play, I was like, oh, oh, that's exciting. Like, that, that's cool. And then we comes out at halftime, hits him again for a 54-yard completion. I I thought it was interesting, though, that that was, that was all Marvin Mims had. He um, had two receptions for 113 yards, according to ESPN. But, I mean, a 60-yard touchdown bomb, and then you've got the 54-yard bomb. I was like, okay. They're doing something like something is working. They're playing the commanders. Like I just thought like, okay, there's something happening here. And then as one of our lovely listeners pointed out, Russell Wilson had an amazing first half and then the Broncos became the Broncos again. And even on the other side of the ball, it was exciting to watch Chase Young come back. He had three tackles, two solo, one assist and 1.5 sacks. The commander's defense combined for seven sacks and 14 quarterback hits, which, Ash, I know hurts your heart to hear. Um, A little bit. But I thought, like, it was exciting to watch them kind of step up. They were a team that I have previously not, you know, cared about that much. But I still thought the game became interesting to watch in the other way. And then, of course, the ending was insane. I think I'd still be in the corner crying if I was a Broncos fan after that ending because, I mean, to score on the most Hail Mary of all Hail Marys, and it's like you're juggling it, guy catches it in the back, he's got it, and then to not get the two-point conversion. Brutal. (laughs) I, that was tough. Like, that was really tough, and I think like I don't even know how you how you kind of, you know, it's nice to, like, it's got to be exciting to have that play work, and obviously, like, you're on top of the world, and then the rug's kind of pulled out from under you, and you can't pull off the win or tie it up at that point. But shout out to the commanders again, talking about Chase Young coming back. He was saying, it's been a long time coming for me, just a blessing to be running around the field and be out there with the guys. It's the most exciting thing for me. Um 
And I just think that they came out and they knew that they were down in the first half and that they needed to come back and prove themselves and step up. And I thought that's exactly what happened. And shout out to the Commander's video team for putting together the most hilarious recap of that game <laughs> I have ever seen. I've watched it like 17 times. I think it's hilarious. Um, but yeah, I thought that was the game that literally made me stop working and watch. It was interesting. Commanders, Broncos, who would have thought it? Who would have thought it? <laughs> Ashley, do you want to talk about the Cowboys-Jets game at all? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I liked it. Um, <laughs> no, it was, I mean, it's as an offensive player, like, I get excited to watch, you know, the Cowboys be the Cowboys from an offensive standpoint, but holy crap. I just love watching Micah Parsons, like, line up every week and do whatever he wants to do. Like, that is just so amazing. And, like, I think, unfortunately for Zach Wilson, this was going to be a game where he could prove to the Jets fans and everyone out there that he is capable of doing this. Um, but, like I said, unfortunately for him, he had Micah Parsons across the line. And I think that's just a tall order no matter who you are. And no matter what O-line you have in front of you, I think that's something that <laughs> becomes very difficult to uh, – compete with I think he had uh three sacks and like 20 something pressures I that's that's a lot I mean I think a lot of teams how many offensive snaps do you even take during a game that's probably like at least a third of them if not more that he was pressured by one single person on the Cowboys defense um but you know like I said that's a tall order (laughs) I'm still excited to kind of see what Zach Wilson can cook up but Man, it is so fun to watch at Dallas defense, like, do what it does. And shout out Dan Quinn. That man is a mastermind. Like, I really love mm-hmm. what he's done with the defense in general, and I just get so excited to watch them, like, pan out every week. Yeah. Yeah, the Cowboys will be interesting. Uh, the Jets will be interesting. I don't have anything else to say about that. I'm not <laughs> shocked that the Cowboys won. That was – Oh, um, no. Yeah. Mm-mm. But – Happy for you. Um, my game to stop and watch, I'm not going to talk too much about it, but Raiders, Bills, Bills blew out the Raiders 38-10. Sorry, Faith, I know you've been loving up on the Raiders, but this had to be a bounce-back game for the Bills, and yeah. especially for Josh Allen, and it was. Um, I thought he played really well, and they they leaned on the run game a little bit more, which Josh Allen is asked to do so much usually in their run game, and when they – allowed other people to do it, they did really well. So he did have a bounce back game. He threw for 274 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, amazing passer rating. Um, And then also, like I said, they relied on that run game. They had 183 rushing yards and it led to success. So a more balanced attack, not asking Josh Allen to do superhuman things, but just like spreading the ball out. They have so many weapons. Why don't you use them? And crazy stat for me was that even though the Raiders started strong, Josh Jacobs, who was last year's rushing leader, ended the day with negative two yards. That is brutal. Um, It was the fewest rushing yards in a single game by a reigning rushing leader since 1950. I once had a game with negative (laughs) rushing yards. It was... I don't even want to start talking about it because I might cry, but it was so demoralizing. And I know that Josh Jacobs, I'm sure it has like more experience than me and can, and can look himself in the mirror and be like, Hey, this isn't who I am. I'm a good running back. But I know for me after that, I watched every 
run play that I had and over and over and over and over and looking at what could I have done better so that I'm moving the ball forward and not backwards. I went to some of my teammates who, you know, I think that we have the two best women's running backs in the entire world in Ruth and Tootie. And so I went to them and asked them to sit down and watch the film with me and be like, Hey, what could I be doing better so that I'm moving forward and not backwards. And one of the things they said to me is like, sometimes you just have games like that. That doesn't mean that you are a bad running back. Like you are a great running back and you can't let this game define you. And I think for Josh Jacobs, he has to have that same attitude. And at the end of the day, I think he's good. He knows that he's not a negative two yard kind of guy, but you see that stat and it's like, how is that even possible? I know yeah. he didn't have a full preseason um, and, you know, he was in contracts, you know, holdouts, this and the other thing. But even with that, like that is, I, I thought that that was shocking that he was moving backwards. And then Jimmy G had two interceptions. So not a great day for the Raiders, great day for the Bills. And I think the Bills needed that and Josh Allen needed that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, rolling into our playmakers of the week, that's kind of the games of the week. Um I think it's funny because obviously Katie and I have been kind of breaking this up AFC NFC and we both have written down players on each, uh, each conference. Ash, feel free to hop in however you feel uh, necessary yeah. on these. Um, even though I'm supposed to talk about the NFC, I am going to shout out Brendan Schooler. Um, like I said, I just felt like he was the energy boost that the Patriots needed. Obviously a huge play just came out of nowhere. We talked about it. I'm not going to exhaust it, but just awesome. Awesome play. I thought that was certainly a playmaker crown. He has earned that for sure. For sure. <laughs> sure. And I, mine was actually Christian Gonzalez, another Patriots player. Our bias is coming out. Shocking. Ro- rookie first round pick. He's currently the third highest rated cornerback in the entire NFL. Um, obviously, we talked about how he had that huge interception versus Tyreek, but I think when you look at this guy, to, can you, like, he's going against the best players in the NFL and he is doing what he needs to do. He's gone against A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, Tyreek in his first two games, and he's showing up and balling out. That interception was sick. Like, I was at the game. He got such height on it, went up for it, and to me, that's like a player playing with confidence, and it doesn't matter if you're going against Tyreek Hill, who's one of the best receivers in the game. So I thought he absolutely balled out. Christian Gonzalez is my playmaker of the week with a little asterisk. Obviously I think Bijan is going to be it every week for me, but he had 172 total yards, um, including 124 rushing on 19 carries. And it's just un- unbelievable. So I, I chose him also, but Christian Gonzalez is my AFC player playmaker of the week. And my NFC playmaker of the week. This is just for you, Ash. Honestly, this stood out to me before, but I thought you would appreciate it. Jordan Mulata, off, uh offensive tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles. Wow. Like he, first of all, 96.9 PFF rating, 90.3 pass blocking grade, highest graded game by an offensive tackle since 2010. I mean, like we've talked so much today about just not like offensive linemen, not getting the credit that they deserve sometimes, or it's not the headlines, but he certainly made a name for himself. I don't know if you got to really see much of his play at all, but I mean, even just Googling like playmakers this like week and seeing who like stood out, like he was at the top of a lot of people's lists. And I thought that was incredible for sure. Yeah. I mean, he's a solid dude for sure. Uh, There's no doubt about that. I appreciate his play, even though he's an Eagles fan, you got to love on offensive linemen anywhere who can do what he does and like make it look that good. Absolutely. Ashley, do you have a playmaker? I do 
in a very biased opinion, I would have to say Micah Parsons. <laughs> totally fair. Totally fair. <laughs> Valid. Um, yeah, and not for any other reason than he just, I would like to insert the Roy Kent chant from Ted Lasso. He's there. He's here. He's there. He's every <laughs> effing where. Like, that's just what he reminds me of, man. Like, he can't stop him. Um, and I'm excited to watch him keep playing. Same. Yeah. Same Okay, I, I can't argue. That doesn't even seem biased. He really did. He actually was yeah. on my short list of players this week who yeah. I, he was impossible to ignore. Like, certainly a playmaker for sure. Yeah. I would for love sure. to hate him as a teammate, honestly. <laughs> like, to see that man in practice 700% more than anybody will ever see him on a season basis. Like, you play him twice, maybe three times. But, like, as a teammate, having to put up with that all season long, like, and I know a thing or two about putting up with some of the best D linemen <laughs> in the league on <laughs> and by, you know, twice a week, like four or six months straight can be exhausting. And you love to yep. hate those kind of people because one, they're going to do great things when it's game time, but they make you better as well at the end of the day. Yeah, so. You definitely want them on your squad. Yes. Yeah. Shout out sure. Boston Renegades D line. <laughs> All right. Moving towards next week, we have Playmakers predictions, games that we're excited for next week. Um, I'm going to start us off here. Maybe a random game, but I'm oddly excited for it, is the Colts-Ravens. Like we talked about earlier, uh, the Colts are coming off a win with Texans. They are huge under underdogs in this game against the Ravens. The Ravens are currently 2-0. and um, And the Ravens are supposed to just roll over the Colts. Also, Anthony Richardson went down in concussion protocol, so he's a question mark if he's going to be back or not. Gardner Minshew, who is their backup, did really well. I have to admit, I did get tested and tested positive for Minshew mania last year when that went down, whenever that was. was, I'm a fan of his. Um, If if he does play, um, I, I think it becomes a little bit, you know, exciting. I think Anthony Richardson is amazing. But if he's not playing, I think Gardner Minshew can go in and be competent for them. I think the Ravens, Lamar's looking better and better in Todd Munkin's offense. He had two, they had 230 yards versus the Bengals. Um, they're getting that connection with Zay Flowers, the DC grad, who we love to see out there doing well. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, who didn't pan out for the Patriots, seeming to do a little bit better with Lamar. So Colts Ravens for me, I think ultimately it's going to be too much of an uphill battle for the Colts, whether they have Richardson or Minshew. I think the Ravens are going to win, but if Minshew is in, I think he's going to make it fun. And if Richardson is in, I think what he does with his legs is always just electric. So either way, I'm hoping for a good matchup. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be an exciting one for sure. I think Minshew will definitely make it fun. I think it'll be interesting to watch. Um, My NFC uh, game that I'm excited for is the Atlanta Falcons at the Detroit Lions. So Falcons, I would say, are pretty hot right now. Like they're 2-0. Like they're they're getting what needs to get done, done. Um, I'm a little nervous, though. Their their defense is ranked 23rd in the league. Um, And while it's huge steps up from last year, I still think they've got a long way to go when it comes to that. Um, But... I think, you know, they've got a chance here. I think I think it's going to be a pretty even match-up game. I actually don't have a prediction on who I think is going to win. Um, I think the Lions do have the advantage of being at home. Their fans are unreal in Ford Field. So I think that will be an exciting atmosphere for them. Um, 
And I mean, I think the Falcons kind of proved in week two that they can make the necessary halftime adjustments that they need to make. So if they do get down, I think they're going to be ready to kind of bounce back. Obviously, this is a big game for them. Um, and the Lions, before I talk too much about them in general, I just want to shout out their flea flicker play. That's personally my favorite play in all of football. I just love it. I think it's fantastic. Every time it works, I'm so excited. I just think it's a fun play. Um but just seeing Goff connect with Raymond for the 36-yard bomb off of that play, I was just – I was excited for them. I thought that was an awesome you play. You love to love it. Uh, yeah. I, it was just like <laughs> every time I see it, I'm like, please work, please work, please work. Um, so that was great. Um, obviously, the Lions are coming off of an interesting loss to the Seattle Seahawks. Um, kind of came down to the end with the questionable no-holding call um, play on Hutchinson. Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, if he's not held in that situation, like he's going to get to Smith before he can get the ball out. But um, the refs didn't see a hold on it. So Seahawks ended up scoring and winning the game. Fans on Twitter certainly saw a hold on that play. Um, curious if you guys have any opinions either way on that moment. Um, any thoughts? I generally, this is like a general statement on things. I think sometimes those plays can be really frustrating, but I always come back to at the end of the day, like you need to play like Ash said before the full game and not put yourself in situations where one call one way or the other is going to dictate the game. So that's easy for me to say right now, not as a fan involved in that game. So that, you know, I think (laughs) it's different when you're seeing your team out there under like a blatant call. And I think also you never want things to come down to like officiating and questionable calls, but as an athlete or a coach, I've always kind of been like, you know what, like don't put yourself in a position to have it come down to that, like one play at the end of the game. I agree. You can't leave it in the officiating's hand. Like I've been through, like as I wrestled in high school. So I think time and time again, our coaches preach, like you can't let the judges or the officiating or anybody sort of like dictate how this match ends up. Like you have to be definitive in what you're doing and you have to do it with purpose. And if at the end of the day, you have to take ownership that you didn't win that rep doesn't make you a bad person, doesn't make you a terrible player, but it just means that there's, you know, you have to be able to step up in that moment and make it unquestionable that you did what you were supposed to do. And it sucks. Again, like in Katie's position, I have no skin in that game. I I mean, I like the Lions. I love Dan Campbell, but it's easy to say when I'm like not a super fan of either of those teams, but that's kind of what it boils down to for me. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. You can't let it, you can't let that one moment be it um obviously a tough way for any game to end uh, in situations like that but i do think the lions are certainly going to bounce back and be the lions against the falcons like i think it'll be an exciting game um my gotta have faith of the week um i i struggled with this week because i felt like a lot of the matchups were either like like i don't have faith that the giants are going to beat the 49ers but like didn't want to predict that the Jets would beat the Patriots. Like there were some things where it was like, I, there's some of these, like I, I just couldn't really get behind, but my game is going to be the Rams Bengals. So I'm going to lean into Rams. <laughs> I'm laughing saying this out loud. Rams 27 Bengals 17. So the whole point of this is to be a hot take. Um, Man, but the, the Bengals- reason, the Bengals lose to the Rams it's going to be very interesting 
But the reason I can get behind this a little bit only is because of the Joe Burrow situation. So he is questionable for Monday night. I, I found it interesting back in August, Jamar uh, Chase actually had a quote that was basically saying to sum it up that he didn't want Joe Burrow out there if things were questionable. He'd rather him sit. And if he's can sit until week five and then come out, we'll be good. We'll figure it out. That was his confidence in his team. Um, the backup options that they have are Jake Browning, whose only NFL pass was incomplete in week one. Or you have Will Greer, who is on the practice squad, but had a stellar preseason with the Cowboys. Again, can't put any stock in preseason, as I have done with Pickett. Um, but he had such a performance that Mike McCarthy actually said it was the best preseason quarterback performance he's seen since 1999. Like, he certainly stepped up when he had the opportunity. Um, but I don't know. If they don't have Burrow, like, do they – do they figure it out? Like, there's obviously a lot of other moving pieces. I don't think the Bengals' O-line is exactly what it needs to be at this point. Like, and I think if you don't have Burrow in there, or even if you have Burrow in, but it's, you know, he's injured. Like, he was he's 0-12 on passes that are 15 or more yards, which is usually Joe Burrow's, like, back pocket go-to kind of move. And I just think that inability to perform what Bengals' teams are usually doing is going to be a hole. Now, granted, um, kind of going back to the Stephen A. quote um, a little bit about the whole bag of chips, I think the Rams are kind of like Aaron Donald in a bag of chips at this point. Like, I was looking through their depth chart, and I was just kind of like, I don't even recognize half of these people. Like, I don't – I couldn't tell you – I couldn't spot them out in a crowd, that's for sure. Like, I just – you know, the the Rams, they're one and one um, and – I don't know. I think their best wide receiver right now is their rookie um, who is like Nakua is killing it in terms of a rookie. Like he has actually made quite the name for himself. Um, we had a question about him. So talking about him for a second, um, he had a team high 15 catches for 147 yards in Sunday's loss and became the first NFL first player in NFL history with at least 10 catches and 100 receiving yards in each of his first two games. Shout out to him, too, as a rookie um, when he was asked about it. Obviously, he says his success will come when the team wins. He's only excited for the team to win and produce nothing of the personal sort in that. But I don't know. I think, like, he's making a name for himself, maybe. Can I chime in on him? Because I was like, yeah. I've, I have, like, a list of handwritten stats. I was, like, feverishly <laughs> writing about him. And now is the time to share them. Please. Because he is balling. He's had 25 receptions in two games, more than Justin Jefferson and Tyreek, 15 catches for 147 yards. He has 266 yards this year, which is more than uh, Diggs and Devontae Adams. He's had 13 first downs, which is more than Jamar Chase, uh, A.J. Brown, and C.D. Lamb. He has 133 um, yards, which is more than Waddle and Evans. And he has more yards after the carry than any wide receiver in the league right now. Like, where did this guy come from? So, you know, I said that it would be shocking if the Bengals won, but maybe not because Sean McVay is still Sean McVay. And he still has these weapons that we didn't even know he had. And, yeah, you say Aaron Donald, it's just Aaron Donald. Well, Aaron Donald is a really good person to have <laughs> leading that court. So, yeah. and, and like you said, like, man, the Bengals don't seem to be clicking offensively, like, at all and doing Joe yeah. Burrow doesn't seem to be doing Joe Burrow things. He said in his press conference, like, I don't even know if he's going to be playing. So 
like you're saying those rookies or those backups, like, yeah, they might be good, but they're not Joe Burrow good. So yeah. who knows? I love this gotta have faith prediction. I've changed my mind. You've convinced <laughs> me into it. <laughs> I do I do think I do think my score is a little questionable. I can argue that it's not maybe my best score prediction, but I'm just gonna go for the fact that the Rams are gonna click on offense and something is going to work and even if not, if we have, you know, Will Greer stepping in off the practice squad, I'm assuming there might be a pick six in the situation. Like, I just think it could be a little bit higher scoring. Um, so that's my got to have faith. We'll certainly see what happens. Um, I do want to give a quick shout out. Uh, I know I just said the Bengals were going to lose. Um, but a quick shout out just as a photographer looking at this week of NFL content. I did think the Cincinnati Bengals did an amazing job this past week at their game. Um, they really like lit up their tunnel for their walkouts in a way that I haven't seen done before. And I felt like they just added another element to something that like is supposed to be exciting and like, you know, hyped up. And I thought that they did a great job with that. Um, also this is going to be their like whiteout game. And so I've already seen them start dropping some content for that. So I'm super excited as you guys listeners are following playmakers perspective, definitely check out what the Bengals are doing. I think they're putting a lot of effort into it and it's so far so good. I love their whiteouts. Um, and the last thing that I would be very upset if we didn't talk about before we wrap is Mike McDaniels. Okay. His <laughs> halftime interview. I have watched it probably 25 times. I think it's hilarious that she, he was asked like, you've done all of this in the first half. Like, you know, what, what's your look on it? I haven't done anything. Like, okay, yeah, fair, uh, I guess, sure, if you want to look at it. And the way he gives the side eye to the cameraman and just sprints like a kid, I I thought that was hilarious. Uh, best was video of the week. Hilarious. In fact, I think we're going to have to repost this on our story. So if you don't know what we're talking about, we'll make sure that we put it yes. on the Playmakers Perspective story and maybe some of that, the Bengals content too. But, um, oh, yeah. my God, he was hilarious. And then, again, not having to do with the team's content, but – Mike with Daniels, if you don't follow, I, I believe it's Omaha Productions, but it's like Eli and Peyton. He did like this hilarious like interview to be on the Manning cast that was like laugh out loud. <laughs> I watched it like three times. So I'm like, not only is he beating up on the Patriots and has this offensive mind, like mm. he is very funny. And it's kind of like a dry humor that I just really appreciated. And when he sprinted away from the camera, I was like, man, he is like, He's next level right now. Like he's in the zone. Cool, so that's love that. His energy is on point. I mean, I think there's like different coaches, obviously throughout the league. You have your Bill Belichick, you have your John McVeigh, you have everybody. But Mike McDaniel's man is one of one. <laughs> that yeah. man is so special. I think like he really grabs my attention because I think I told you guys earlier this week that if I ended up ever as a coach anywhere. I would be part Michael, Mike McDaniels. Like that would be in my DNA <laughs> just without even trying. That's like, who, so seeing him on the big screen doing what he does, like really makes my heart happy because he just is Mike McDaniels. Like what else I mean, is there to be except for he's living his best life. Yeah. He came out when he first became a head coach and he admitted, he's like, I used to go like, five days without a shower but now i do these press conferences every other day and you'd notice if i didn't shower i'm like <laughs> i love it like who says that i want bill to say that next press conference <laughs> I, need him to say that. I really hope bill is showering regularly so 
<laughs> All right, we're gonna wrap it up here. Ash, that was awesome. I love getting your perspective as a whole line. You have so much to offer as a teammate and also as an analyst here. So thank you so much. We really appreciate that. Anything you'd oh, like to thanks say? Thanks for Ash? having me. Thanks for yeah. I mean, just thanks for having me on here. This was like such an incredible opportunity. I've been missing the football that I know and love, which is, you know, WFA type football. And so to be able to get on here and talk any kind of football with the two of you has been like so rewarding. Well, Good. thank you. And it was face vision for this podcast is to have women's football players on and speak about the game and talk in something about the X and O's and just, again, give their perspective on it. And so lucky to have you do it. And Faith, thank you for this wonderful idea you had. Uh, and everybody who's been listening in so far, we hope you enjoy it. We're looking forward to get more people on, uh, different players, etc. So thank you guys. Tell your friends. Spread the word. Faith, where can you find us? Yes. Well, Ash, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We were so excited Absolutely. to have you. You killed it. It was amazing. Um, I know <laughs> listeners you. are going to love it. Um, and yeah, oh, for sure. For sure. Um, (laughs) and you can, everyone can check us out on Spotify and Apple podcasts. That is where you can find the full episode, but you can find clips, quotes, graphics, all kinds of fun content on Instagram at playmakers perspective. We'll also be posting more interactive stuff on our story. So be sure to check that out and submit questions and topics. And so that we can talk about what you want to hear about with the NFL on next week's episode, but thank you guys. This was awesome. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week.